you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. wonder, church, if you've ever wrestled with the question, which sense you would be most willing to give up? I feel like the most common answer to that question is smell, uh, because if we're honest, we would rather not smell sometimes when we get to encounter some different scents. Uh, at least with taste, you know, if you don't like something, if you don't like the flavor of it, you can choose not to taste that. But sometimes, if you encounter a certain smell, there's actually no escaping it. But the question or the answer to that question that I think that you will uh, very rarely, if ever get, is the choice to lose someone's sight. Imagine for a moment losing the ability to see, to see people's faces, to take in the beauty of God's nature, to be able to drive or even just to watch a movie. Further to that, imagine being, bl- born bli- uh, imagine being blind in the first century. The first century where it's utterly devastating to be blind. No Braille, no computer software, no guide dogs, no NDIS, no support. Yet there's a worse darkness than becoming blind. It's a darkness that none of us who are born with sight can even imagine. True total blackness, a complete absence of light. I remember caving in New Zealand with my brother in the weeks uh, leading up to his marriage. Uh, We decided that it was a good idea to go on uh, a bit of an adventure before his bigger adventure of wedding in in the South Island of New Zealand. And one of the things that we decided to do was to go caving. And I can recall as we headed further and further down, deep inside the earth where the darkness is so, is so intense, you feel like it's a living thing intent on crushing you. 
And yet, even in that space, our scientists tell us that even in that kind of blackness, there's almost always a very small amount of ambient light. Researchers have discovered that uh, they have to work very hard to totally shield someone's eyes from all light altogether. And remarkably, actually, when they do that, the brain resists the darkness. It refuses to accept the total absence of light, and so it throws up optical illusions of sparks and other flashes of light to ease the panic that, gets, uh, that, that comes as a result of the total darkness. But this man that we encounter in our passage today was blind from birth. Total, complete, utter darkness was all this blind man had ever known. And his physical darkness was a sign to others of a greater spiritual darkness, a spiritual bondage to the darkness of sin. So to work our way through our encounter with this man today, I want to focus on some responses to what's going on. The first, responding to physical disability. These disciples ask the question, who sinned that this event happened? Read verse 1. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples saw suffering and they thought karma. They thought sin. That bad things happen to bad people. Maybe you ask a similar question when you see someone suffering. And it's actually not a bad question to start with. The truth is that very much of our human suffering is self-inflicted. We suffer because of our own sinful choices. It's also true that suffering is inflicted on us by sinful choices of others. But Jesus says very clearly, unequivocally, something quite wonderful in response. He says, as he looks at the blind man, there is no sin here. Of course, there's sin in the sense that all suffering is the outworking of the original sin that has marred a perfect world. And it's true that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus looks at this man... And he says there is no sin responsible for this man being born blind. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. And he goes further on to continue to tell us why he was born blind. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. How could God's works be displayed in his blindness? How is God going to be on display in someone that people see and only see sin? Well, perhaps it's in the very disability itself. Our God shows his power through those with disability. Some years ago, we're blessed, we were blessed to have a man in our church who was a, a paraplegic. 
He was in, he'd been in a wheelchair for more than 40 years as a result of a motorbike accident as a teenager, and his disability had pushed him to Jesus. He was saved, and God got so much glory through this disabled man, and he eventually ended up volunteering in hospitals. He would uh, wheel his way through wards to visit with others who were also sick and suffering, to encourage them, to share his hope with them, and to pray for them. This man was inspirational, is inspirational. We should never fall guilty of underestimating what God can work through the worldly standards of the weak and the pity, the physically and mentally disabled ones. Consider for a moment a practical example. A common refrain when chatting to an expectant mother will be, well just as long as it's healthy. Usually it's in response to whether it's a boy or a girl, and uh, people will say, well, just as long as it's healthy. And we can understand why that's said, right? We can also understand the human logic of the abortion doctors and the new testing where parents are encouraged to abort their child if it's disabled. As a preference, no one wants to have a child that's disabled because walking with disability is a very hard road to walk. But that can't be true for God's people. We can't be the ones that talk like that about disability. God has a rather persistent habit of choosing to, what, to, choosing to use that which appears weak to shame the strong. God can and does use disability to show the works of God in a glorious and wonderful way. We should never be found guilty of making the mistake of these disciples and presume that disability is God's punishment because it might just be God's richest blessing. But what we know for sure is this story is not ultimately about physical blindness. It's about so much more than that, so let's wrestle with a response to spiritual disability. The fact that sight could be restored to someone who had become blind or was partially partially blind was not unknown in the ancient world. It was pretty rare, but it had and did happen. But that someone could be born blind, be made to see for the first time, never happened. Never. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And to prove it, A bit of spit and mud is all it takes not to restore sight, but to create it for this man. And in doing that, Jesus says to all who witness this sign, yes, I am indeed the promised Messiah that you have been waiting for. In doing this act, in conducting this miracle, Jesus is showing that there's more going on here, that this is indeed a sign a sign that tells you, yes, I am the one you have been waiting for. More than 700 years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah wrote of the coming Messiah in these words. He said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And as I again I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. 
I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, a miracle he does more than any other miraculous act in the Bible as a sign of who he is and what he has come to do. So don't miss this sign, don't miss the disciples' question. This is a sign that the light of the world also has power to defeat a far greater, far more tragic darkness, the spiritual darkness of sin. As this passage continues on uh, and goes further than our Bible reading read for us today, we see an encounter between the Pharisees and the previously blind man. They're demanding to know what's happened, and even though the previously blind man reports honestly what's gone on, he tells them an honest account of what has happened, of his interaction with Jesus. The Pharisees don't want to hear it, and they hurl him out into the street. Having heard what happened, Jesus uh, finds the man and asks him directly, encounters him again, asks him a direct question in John 9.35. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who may see become blind. Jesus, the light of the world has come. And what does light do? It warms, it heats, it illuminates, it brings hope and joy. Think of the first rays of the morning sun as the sunset creeps over the horizon and blacks out or blocks out the darkness. Or the Christmas lights that are starting to go on as they shine brighter and brighter as that sun goes down. But the coming of the light also separates. 2,000 years ago, this light exploded into rural backwater Israel. A bright shining star descends and rests over the little town of Bethlehem. The shepherds, they believed and worshipped at the light with joy. Herod, Herod hated the light and sought to extinguish it by murdering innocent children as his response. Now the baby is grown and his light blazes into the darkness of this world with a supernatural intensity. And 2,000 years on, the response will be the same. Some will see and accept the light with joy and others will be blinded by it and will turn it away. The problem then and the problem now is human sin. Sin that makes us ashamed, sin that blocks us from God's love and forgiveness, sin that blinds us to the light. 
The Pharisees in this story are the very ones who should have been able to see the light of Jesus and fallen down and worshipped him. They were the religious people. They were the God-botherers of the day. The Pharisees accused the blind man of sin, but their actions showed their own enslavement to sin. The spiritual darkness of their hearts blinded them to the light of God blazing forth right in front of their eyes in all its glory, but they could not see. Earlier on in John's account of Jesus' life, he says this in John 3.19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We have spoken a lot during this series about these miracles being more than just miraculous acts. That they were signs to point to something greater. And what this sign points to is absolutely clear. Jesus has the power not just to make the physically blind see, which in itself is miraculous and incredible, but has the power to deal with the far greater problem of human sin and inner darkness. So how are you going to respond? As we look at responses in this passage, we can't remove ourselves from this story. We can't decide that this was a response for people then or a story that happened way ago. This story calls for us a response from us today. So as we move into our final response, what does it look like for you in responding to our present disability? Because we all will respond in some way. Whether consciously or unconsciously, we will respond in some way. You might respond like the Pharisees did. You'll, re- you'll find reasons to ignore this miracle. You'll say they're intellectual reasons, but deep down in your heart, it's because you don't want to come to the light. After I'd been coming to church for a little while, I knew that something was going on. Uh, The curiosity that had initially drawn me and kept me coming back when I was uh, resisting was slowly changing to a belief. But with that recognition came an, uh, an acknowledgement that God was going to do some work in my life. And to be honest, I wasn't having any of that. I remember signing up to be baptized, and in the week leading up to it, I caught up with my pastor, and I just said, I, I can't do this. I realize what this means, and I, I don't think that's for me. I'd love to tell you that he talked me around, uh, and I realized that all I was giving up was worth it for what I was going to receive in accepting Jesus, but unfortunately, uh, I wasn't that impressive. I didn't go through with my baptism, and I spent the next six months uh, at least wrestling with this reality before I could finally accept, to finally let go and accept that what God was going to do with my life was better than what I was trying to do. So maybe for you, you say, I would come to Jesus except I know that he will want me to change. I don't want to leave this. I couldn't possibly leave that. You fill in the blank of what that is for you. Don't fall into the trap the Pharisees were deceived by. 
the trap that our own minds can tell us that we are smarter than what we see happening right in front of us. Others, if you may be like the man whose eyes were open but had not yet met Jesus face to face. There's a moment in this story, a, a phase in the story where the blind man recognizes the power of what has happened but still isn't quite sure who Jesus is. Even as Jesus asks him that direct question, do you believe in the Son of Man? He responds, tell me who that is. He was interested, he had seen God at work restoring his physical sight, but his inner blindness remained. And if that's you, I imagine you know your inner darkness, your sin, your separation from God, and you feel the weight of it. There's something about Jesus that you find compelling and attractive, but you're not quite there yet. About a month ago now, our church camp happened an incredible time, and one of the most amazing things was uh, a woman came along who wasn't actually from our church here in Geelong. She told us that she was on a scholarship at Oxford and come to Melbourne during a university break. The reason she had come, though, was because she had been uh, watching the online services of City on a Hill, Geelong. She said that God had used those services to save her, and when she heard our church uh, was having a camp in Melbourne, she was taking the opportunity. She had to be there. As she retold her story, she said, uh, the light of the world found me. She took out this card that was in her Bible. Uh, it's the famous painting by a, a man named Holman Hunt, and it hangs in, the chapel, uh, in one of the chapels at Oxford. I want you to uh, take a look at it for a moment and take in the image of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He stands outside and knocks. The door is your heart and the door handle is on the inside. He will not break down the door. He calls you and he offers you light, just as he called our visitor and offered her light. And Jesus says, open the door, leave your darkness and come to the light of life. And when you do, you find that as much as you were seeking him, he was already seeking you. That might be you this very day. And still, for others here, we have already encountered Jesus. We have encountered all that He is, accepted Jesus, and we walk in His light. Give praise, be thankful, be full of joy that we get to rejoice in that. If you know Jesus, the light of the world, the call for us is to not just know Him, but to also make Him known. You must tell others, as people of City on a Hill, we should be at the front of this queue, Matthew 5.14, where our name come from, comes from, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light that is Jesus that we have been given is not only for us, but for us to share. So let me finish today with a story of a man called John. John was a man who loved darkness. 
was a slave trader. His job was to rip people from their homes and transport them into misery and death. He loved his darkness and he hated the light. Sin ruled his life and he was happy for it to be so. But one day, in the middle of the vast Atlantic Ocean, God got John's attention. His slave ship was overwhelmed by an incredible storm that, as a sailor, he knew meant that death had come for him. And he cried out in his terror, in that moment, finally, cried out, Lord, have mercy. And God showed mercy. As the light of the dawn broke on his wrecked ship, Jesus took this blind and sinful man and filled him with his light and life. He became in time a famous preacher and evangelist whose light shone brightly as he pointed thousands of others to the light of the world. It shone so brightly that it touched even a young member of parliament, a man called William Wilberforce, who John led into the light. And Wilberforce became, of course, the great leader who fought tirelessly to abolish the evil of that slave trade that John was once a part of. But the sin and the darkness is not what John is chiefly remembered for. He is not even remembered for being instrumental in saving William Wilberforce and urging him to end the evil of slavery. John knew that the light he shone was not his light. It was not that he uncovered the lamp of his own moral goodness that was already in him and let it shine by doing good things, but because the light of the world had come and overwhelmed his darkness and given him his own light instead. And that gift of life is because of his grace, his unmerited love for sinners like you and I. He doesn't have to knock at our door, but he does, and he keeps knocking. This John, uh, John Newton, is famous, of course, for the hymn Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus, the light of the world, has come. Nothing is ever the same again. The blind man knew it. John Newton knew it, and it is for us to know now as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world, the light of the world that is here with us, that offers your light to us now a light that is at work, at work amongst us and in us. We pray, Lord, that our eyes would be open to who you are and what you are doing. We pray that you would unveil our eyes, that even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, that we would see you in all of your truth and beauty and relevance. Lord, unblind our eyes to see you for who you truly are. Do a work in us to enlarge our hearts for you, a love for you in a way that changes our life, in a way that impacts our lives to live for your glory, to shine the light that you are through us.
to a world that you long to see come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.